Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and as always, my trusted cohort, Jens Vogt. Jens, how's it going, buddy? It's all good over here. We are back into a little bit of winter. Um, they announced even a little bit of snow for tomorrow. It's about zero degrees, which is, I guess, 34 Fahrenheit. So it's uh, freezing at night, it's cold during the days, um, and I do a lot more activities. Apart from that, not too much happens. Still no COVID case in my family. Yeah, knock wood, knock wood on that. Um, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I live in South Carolina. When I moved down here, I didn't even bring my snowblower or didn't even want to bring snow shovels, but luckily I did bring one snow shovel. It snowed on us. We had a good solid seven eight inches of snow which is not great for this part of the world because a they don't have the machinery to clear the roads and b the drivers don't really know how to drive in snow so i've been staying inside staying off the roads keeping safe um just riding riding zwift and walking around the neighborhood in the snow um well today we have a really special episode so in 2004, both you and I, Yenzi, we signed for CSC, which I knew right away was the team that I was looking for my entire career. Uh, we had Bjarne Reese at his very best. We had B.S. Christensen running our survival camps and the most amazing roster of riders, right? Um, many of us came to Team CSC in the middle to twilight of our career looking for a second chance to see what we could do in in the pro peloton but then there was that young generation of riders who we didn't really know at the time that would go on to greatness one and perhaps the best of those young riders was our guest today so sit back and enjoy our amazing interview with andy schleck All right, Andy, um, I think I can speak for, for Jens as well and tell our listeners, you know, we had a little brother there for a while at, at CSC. Um, you started off on the team as, as Frank's little brother, but then grew into a Tour de France champion. Um, welcome to the show, Andy Schleck. Thank you guys for having me. I follow your show for a long time already. And I was like, these guys were my friends, my teammates, my family, and they haven't asked me yet for beyond their podcast. So I'm very honored to be here, guys. We, we get that a lot all of a sudden. We realize that, uh, dang, we haven't reached out to the closest people. We're all trying to be all uh, a little bit too fancy. But, you know, we, we kind of have an interest, Andy. You know, a lot of our listeners uh, know what you did as a cyclist, but we also kind of like getting the beginning, you know, like we know that your dad was a pro, your your brothers were into cycling. Was there any other sport that you were interested in before becoming a cyclist or was this always seemed to be your, your the path that you wanted to take? It was quite, um, it came quite late uh, for, for myself, uh, if I have to. To be honest, because yeah, you know, when you you in Luxembourg live in a small country, you have a, a very very short population. I think at the time when I I was in in high school, you know, there was maybe you know four hundred thousand people living living here and speaking this language and and being part of this of this community, you know. So 
we, we were always like kind of uh, intimidated by uh, the other, by the world out there, huh? because we are France, Germany, um, next to us, and they always had, you know, Olympic uh, medals, and we hardly had, you know, any athletes who made it into the, into the top, top ranks in any sport. And yeah, saying that, you know, so you always dream of it, but you never believe in it because you go from Luxembourg, you know, you, you, you can't go there because we, 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 we never have any top athletes uh, in any sports. Um, so you, you do sport and um, before cycling for me it was ice hockey, uh, I, sp I played tennis for a while. And after that, um, yeah, basically I was trying to, you know, to make, uh, to, make to, to be a good athlete in, in cycling. And it, this, this was my, my passion my, my whole life, but it came only at a age of 15, 16, you join national team and you go to, to races. So I quit uh, ice hockey. Um, and uh, all the other stuff I did, uh, didn't quit school, luckily, um, until I was 19. And then um, well, two months later, I joined you guys uh, in the first uh, stagiaire races. And then I would not say my past was done. It was only the beginning because then still, I mean, what you dream of when you are a kid, you know, you see the races, you, you just want to be a part of it. You never believe in, in winning or, 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 or succeeding uh, uh, on the podium. And yeah, uh, you guys remember me, you know, the first races. I wasn't your brother. I was more like, you know, the child uh, in the team. You guys made fun with me. Uh, I was the joke on the table uh, because I hardly, I didn't grow a beard at the time and uh, didn't have to shave and uh, yeah, made my way uh, through there with, of course, the support and the help of, um, yeah, great people around me. I still remember you from all the extra actions in our um, team building camps that one time in Denmark, probably the second year, and you were about to just chop off half of the forest to have enough firewood. You were ready. You were a man on a mission in that survival camp. And um, yeah, and, and already there you showed, you know, leadership and strategic thinking. Hey, guys, we do this, 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 and then we can survive the day a lot better in the end for everyone. Um, yeah, the first season, of course, you were a young Neo Pro. I remember you also from the first training camp. Bjarne went on a race and said, hey, Jens, look at this young kid. Can you not drop him? And I couldn't. You were hanging on there. It was just you and me left. And um, already there, I had to take a second look. And then, of course, I had to ask your brother, hey, what's up with this young kid? What's up with your younger brother? So uh, quite early, you did show at least your climbing skills you quite early you did show them already to us um of course you know when you come to a big when i joined the team uh you know there was not a minute where i didn't want to prove myself uh to my teammates uh, even we laughed at the table um i went to races and we, we fought together um but I, i always want to be the last man standing uh was it in the survivor camp was it was it in in any race in any race so I do think, and I only realized this with a little bit of distance after my my uh, my career, um, how hard I could be on myself. Uh, there was nothing I didn't believe I could achieve, and this was also in the young age um, when I joined the team. I remember my first race I did with Michele, Michele Bartoli. This was, you know, he was. I mean, you, he was more than Jesus for me. He was, you know, my my, my childhood hero, and. Um, 
Yeah, uh, at the same time racing with him, uh, I wasn't, I was honored, of course. Uh, it was his last race and my first race as a stagiaire. Um, but what, what was in my mind? You know, he needs to remember me. Yeah? So I thought I need to prove myself uh, already there. Uh, I, I didn't have a contract at the time because I was just a stagiaire rider for the team. Um, and I do believe this is part of um, which was later my uh, success uh, as a rider huh? because it didn't really change um, my way of thinking. Um, I would say when I was a junior rider in Luxembourg, I wanted to win the national championship, you know, of a country with 300, uh, 400,000 people and, you know, 10 starters. This wasn't a really hard mission, but um, the mission itself never really get harder huh? because I always went to my limits, you know, to win there and then to prove Michele Bartoli that I could be a part of the team and, and support him. Um, to uh, Giro di Emilia in, in, in Italy. And then later when I won stages and I had support of you guys, it was still the same mission I was on, you know, prove myself that I can do it. And this is quite interesting because it's just a change of, you know, from a Luxembourgish championship race to a Tour de France stage. My perspective and object objective, how I approach the race was always the same. And I do believe because I never changed that and uh, because money or success or big contracts never really influenced my way of riding or my way of, you know, being a teammate, but at the same time a leader I never really changed from young age to uh, still today. I applied the same rules in my daily business, um, which I do today. And until now, it uh, I got setbacks. I got setbacks as a pro rider. I got setbacks as a junior rider. But um, I do strongly believe that it's the same. There's the same path and the same rules I applied through all my career and hopefully beyond today and in the future. Yeah, I, I definitely remember that that first survival camp, and it, it was clear. You know, you were fearless, confident, obviously a good leader. It didn't hurt to have. Uh, some hunting experience and some outdoor knowledge. Uh, I think that really, had, you know, allowed you to be accepted very, very quickly into into the team, right? And you were just darn fun to be around. Like it was, it was a a different time, right? Like you know, Jens and I were older, uh, more calculated, and all of a sudden, this new guy rolls up just with a smile on his face and and just having fun. And, you know, we, we had David Miller on the podcast last week, and he explained that everyone called him David l'artiste, David the artist, because he just did things a little bit differently. And you were very much the same, and it used to really crack me. And Jens and I would be doing the training camps and – you know, super specific and regimented. And it just seemed like if you looked at your bike, you got more fit and more fit than, than 90% of the Peloton. But when, when you were young and, you know, coming on to the, to the team, you, you said that you needed to prove yourself. Was there ever a doubt that this wouldn't work out? Or did you because you always had this very nonchalant, like it's not that big of a deal. You know, we had been in the sport so much longer than you. 
it was almost refreshing and it definitely re-energized me every time you were around the races and having your brother there was, was great as well. But was that just not, I, I can't say that you didn't know the sport because your dad was a pro, you know, you've been around the sport, but it just seemed like it didn't phase you in the same way. Ha, give us a little explanation into that mentality because I think it's, it's something quite, quite special. I never really liked when people said in the team, uh, I looked at my bike and I got fit. Um, me and Frank, we live like... Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I explained it. Me and Frank, we lived like um, 200 meters from each other. You know where we lived uh, in Mondorf. Uh, we still live like 200 meters from each other, but in different houses. And at the time, we couldn't afford houses. So now we have a house. Um, I would say probably when I was at home, 90% of my training, I, I trained alone. Oh, I trained with Kim Anderson, uh, which was on the motorbike. So, but I never talked about it because I knew I could suffer for myself and I could take a lot of, so I, I did do a lot of work. I never, I never talked about it because I thought it was a cool image. You know, he comes, he's fit, he's there, he's there. Um, but I, I, I do believe that I worked out, um, let's say, we take Frank, I do believe I work, I know I worked out more than him, I trained more than him. And then going to the races, you know, it's like, as, because he was like on my side all the time, Frank was on my side, and I could see uh, when he started doubt, doubting, he showed weakness. And I thought, well, you can't sh start doubting because how do you want your teammates to believe in you? How do you want your team manager or your your you know, basically the whole team around you uh, to believe in you and give you 110% of support if you show weakness on the start line. You know, if you get weak during the stage, you got to ask for help. You know, that's how it works. Um, but it was a lot of it was a lot of time a show, you know, and I, 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 I told to myself, you know, 10 times I can do this. I can go through there. And if you tell yourself, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 times that you can do it, you do believe you can do it, you know. It's when you were when you when you were when you were a child and you were, you know, you you played being sick at home to not go to school, and you told your mother like twenty times that you have stomach pain. You know, after twenty twenty went twenty first time when you said it, you had stomach pain. You know, and I went like this to the races. I said, okay, I can do it. You know, I did my homework. I I am strong. I proved it already, and. Um, the only thing I need is, is the support of my team and the support of my, not just my team, it was support of my parents, was support of my, of my family around, you know, because if I had everything in order, so I can't show weakness on the start line. If I show weakness on the start line, people start doubting around me. What would you have done, Jens, you know, if I uh, tell you that I don't feel well today and we have a 230 kilometer stage to Massif Central, 42 degrees, you wouldn't feel better if I tell you I'm, I'm weak on the start line. Huh? But because I said, I feel good today and I think we can do it. I got the 120% of your commitment and your work through the stage. But if I would say on the start line, ah, today I don't feel well, um, take it easy on me. You would already be handicapped on the, on the start line as well. And this was a little bit my, my theory all, always. So when I showed weakness, I was weak. I was really weak. I was sick or I was ill or I was, um, I was uh, injured or something. But most of the time, um, even I didn't feel very well uh, in the morning or I was doubting myself, um, 
I never showed it because I said, well, if I show it now, uh, I can't have the full support. Well, talking about uh, this uh, psychology um, now, did you ever had a rider, an opponent or somebody in the team that helped you to get the best out of yourself? Like another bike rider, another team where you go, okay, I don't like this person or I do like the person, but I still want to beat him. Or you just looked at somebody else go, okay, I'm going to give everything I have to beat that person. Or somebody in the team, you go, okay, if he can do it, I can do it. Do you ever had uh, anything like that in your career? Like a favorite enemy, for example? Well, I, ha I had one guy uh, uh, specifically, which was Roberto Contador, which I wanted to beat because I knew um, physically he was better than me my whole career. Uh, I had maybe one year or I had stages where I was maybe a little bit above him, but I knew that physically... He had a better physique to be a better bike rider. Um, he could time trial, he could climb. Maybe I was a couple of years a bit better climber uh, than him, but um, he was the guy I always wanted to beat. He was never my teammate. Um, but I knew that I had some... I, I knew that I was maybe, let's say, physically, I wasn't as strong as him. Um, but I knew that I had some secret weapons which he didn't have. Um, and this goes... Uh, I never, I never really talked about it, but this was actually. I knew that my teammates would give 120 for me and 150, and I knew. Jens, you died many times on the road for me. I, I just saw a video recently, and this was the advantage I had that I was maybe a better guy than him. Let's say personally, and you know, if we come to a level where we rode together, you know, every small detail, every small add-on, you know, uh, in the team, in your surrounding, can give you the victory or can make you the loser. And um, again, physically, I wasn't as good as him. Um, but I knew that I had um, talents or capacity which he didn't have. Uh, I never saw any of his um, team managers or staff or teammates doing the same than my team did or our team did or it changed over time but and i knew that this was my advantage so i also needed to invest in that you know and uh, be a good team mate and be a good leader and um, yeah i think this was my advantage but uh, this was the the way i need to go because i knew i can't beat him in time trials i knew if i have a good day and he have a bad day i can drop him on the clients But these days were very rare counted. And yeah, overall, um, I managed a couple of times to beat him. Well, before we go into your Grand Tour success, and it was very impressive, I, I want to give a little backstory, you know, because you talked about sacrifice, you know, your teammates sacrificing for you. But there's there's always a time when you have to sacrifice for your teammates. And for me, when I realized that you were going to be something special was in the tour of Georgia back in 2005. I had just won Criterium International. I had just won Perry Nice, uh, went to Pay Bosque, uh, started to feel that the form was kind of coming down. So, but I went to tour of Georgia being a race in America with, with big aspirations to do something. And one stage in particular was the stage that finished on, on Brasstown Bald. 
Uh, Jens, you didn't do it that year with us, but you were, I think, second on the stage the year before. Um, it's it's a serious climb, and it, all the Americans were treating it like a world championship. And to the people that know me, I love non-round chain rings. I love osymmetric chain rings. And this was at the beginning when they were basically made hand-pressed aluminum out of like a machine shop in Nice. They weren't very rigid. And I was testing a new pair of chain rings, the compact chain rings, because I wanted it, you know, Brasstown Bald is pretty steep. And I remember I attacked down at the bottom of the climb and I basically put my derailleur in the spokes and you were there and I grabbed your bike and, um, you know, didn't think I'd see you again, right? So all of a sudden I'm on your bike and then at the top of the climb, we're descending down before the final climb. And then all of a sudden you come out of nowhere, like, hey, do you want your bike back? Hey, do you want your bike back? And I'm like, wait a second, how are you here, number one, you know, Lance, Levi, everybody putting the hammer down. And how are you like, what are we going to do? Stop again and change bikes? And then I'm like, okay, let's do it. And you came up to the front again after we changed bikes, because again, I thought I wouldn't see you. And you kind of cut off a pretty famous guy named Lance Armstrong. And he yelled at you. And he said something that wasn't very complimentary. And we start the final climb of Brasstown Bald. Obviously, I'm not that great. Um, and then um, I think a minute later, you you come up and you actually finished, you know, pretty close to me. And you were just like ecstatic that you could contribute to saving my race. You know, I didn't, I think I got fourth or fifth on the stage anyway. I didn't win. But right then and there, I was just like, this kid is 19 years old. Uh, I took his bike not once but twice, and then he came up and set the pace. And I remember what Lance said to you. You came up to me, and, and, and it affected you. You know, you were like, I look up to this guy, and he yelled at me. And the next day, I was riding next to Lance, and I told him this whole story. And he was like, oh, my God, I feel terrible. And I said, you know what? He would love it and really appreciate it. And this guy's going to be around for a while. I don't think you want to make him an enemy you know, would you consider apologizing to him? Which I never thought he would do. And sure enough, what did he do? He apologized to you for saying what he said because he he, he saw the talent as well. So I, I really wanted to tell that story because a lot of people sacrificed for you, but like you did it for, for us as well. And, and, and thank you very much. Thank you, Bobby. This is a, uh, yeah, it's actually about that stage. I could write the whole book uh, just about that stage. Um, First of all, I didn't know, um, you know, I, I was there and I was there to support you uh, in particular. Um, you know, also just, yeah, I, I still don't know how I managed to get up there. There was just no other option um, for me. I said, Bobby needs his bike, Bobby needs his bike, I need to make it up there. Um, and suddenly I didn't really knew who was in front, but then I came up there. There was Floyd Landis, there was Lance Armstrong, there was um, Tom Danielson, there was you. Uh, and I think that 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 was it about, huh? Um, uh, Levi too. A Levi too, huh? So this was uh, the first race, first of all, where what, where where I rode against guys like this, and yeah, I suddenly back up there, and you didn't want to change the bike uh, at first, and I said let's change the bike, and then um, <clears throat> yeah, in the downhill, uh, I couldn't really pass 
because I was not on my bike and I was just waiting in the back. So Lance thought I want to skip a turn or something. Um, and I didn't have any, you know, uh, any, any, any goal to finish anywhere that they were just there to support, to support you. So I stayed in the back because I thought anytime Bobby wants to change the bike, so I better not pull because then I can't give him the bike in the back. And Lance, yeah, um, he wasn't really nice with me there. And well, I didn't sleep good that night, you know, it was terrible for me, you know, there I come to the first race with the big guys and, and the biggest guy of all of them, you know, calls me what he called me. Um, I thought, you know, this is it for me, you know, I don't have any being here anymore. Next day, um, I go into stage, start in the, in the back because Lance started in the front. So I said, you know, I need to put as much distance between him, him and me as possible because maybe he can smell me and he will give me more shit. And suddenly uh, Lance goes back to the peloton and I see him, you know, there's still five riders. So I try to escape him, you know. So I moved to the front because I knew he's in the back now. And suddenly he caught me uh, when we did a stop, when the peloton all stopped to do the natural... Um, yeah, the natural toilet, let's say. And uh, I stopped there and suddenly Lance pulls up to me and he apologized. And I was like terrified. I almost had tears in my eyes. And um, yeah, it was the beginning of a, yeah, I would say I just was so uh, overwhelmed that he came up and apologized to me. And, you know, the whole ro the, the race was actually... Um, one for, for, for myself, uh, because uh, it was, I think, second last stage. I made it into a breakaway the next day. Um, I remember when it was rainy, like uh, with one of his teammates, and then Johan Brunel pulls up to me and he starts talking to me. He, he was aware about the story. And um, yeah, but uh, this was my first, uh, my first encounter with the big guys, let's say. Well, it didn't take you long to be one of the big guys yourself. I mean, we can go down the list of your achievements, but the one that really stuck out um, that I wasn't with you at and just in awe of was 2007. So just a year and a half later, you were in the Tour of Italy and you wound up finishing second overall. Um, tell us a little bit about going from being a domestique, young you know, kind of little brother rider to all of a sudden being on the podium of, I think it was your first Grand Tour, right? Wasn't the 2007 Tour of Italy yeah. your first Grand Tour? How did that work, Andy? I mean, you, you didn't have the massive support, you know, you didn't have, you know, a massive team around you, but you just, you just man upped. And, you know, when you look at the the uh, Palmares from that race. I mean, you were racing against some pretty experienced guys. And with your nonchalant, relaxed attitude, um, what, were you, what were your memories of that race? Yeah, um, the whole thing, the whole Giro uh, experience 2007 started the year before in Tour of Germany, um, where I was there to support Jens. Um, and yeah, I managed to finish all the big stages you know, with the best guys. And then after the race, Bjarne, uh, uh, he wasn't there, but he called me up like two weeks later and uh, he told me, yeah, we need to concentrate on, on, on your goals now. And next year, I want you to concentrate on, on the Giro d'Italia. Um, prepare it uh, as best as you can and um, you won't be there for anyone, but 
be your chance to to glow uh, on your own. And um, yeah, so I did my training camps. I did my 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 homework um, as it should. I went to the I did the Liege Baston Liege, where I surprisingly also finished uh, fourth that year. Went straight to uh, to of Romandy and then basically yeah went to Italy. Uh, I didn't have um, a great team to support, which I do believe was um, on one hand I could say yeah maybe it was a mistake. Um, from Bjarne at the time, uh, because I do believe if I had a team who supported me, but at the same time, um, it didn't give me any pressure. Huh? So uh, basically, we were there, uh, nine guys, um, and all of these nines, we were a team, but everybody tried to win the stage. Um, and I didn't have any real support, so I raced it as a one day race every day. and. Um, you know how it goes in a Grand Tour, um, Bobby, you've been on the podium as well. You can't plan uh, anything the first day. You can have goals and you can have dreams, and, and, but you know how it is. You know, every, every, every second uh, something can happen. Um, yeah, so I basically did it as an as everyday one-day race. And I remember we had tough stages. We had like three times in a row, a 250, 260 kilometer stage. Um, and I had uh, Kurt Asler who was um, rooming with me and Dave Zabriski a couple of uh, a couple of days, um, and yeah, I just attacked how I I did with no thinking in the climbs and, and managed to to, to drop uh, guys and and suddenly I'm third. No, I was fourth and I was second overall, but there was still a week to go. But I only had like three teammates left, so I had Dave Zabriski, Matty Brachel, and Kurt Asler and myself. Um, left to finish in last week. Uh, suddenly I realized, okay, well, I'm second of Roy, if I want to keep that place, I got to think a little bit more strategic and don't go in uh, in every attack on the climb and don't follow Kunigo because Kunigo was already 12 minutes back. So I con started to concentrate on the big guys, uh, De Luca, and yeah, the big day was Monte Zoncolan, um, the stage there. And I knew that I could... Uh, make time time good there because when you're second you want to win yeah? when you are when you started Giro and the first stage you finish 130th uh, with my head I want to be 129th and it always made it up to the to the to the top 10 top 5 and suddenly I was second um, yeah so I said now I want to win uh, the race uh, I managed to take time back on him. I didn't finish uh, at the first place, but I finished second, which was a big achievement. And I realized when I was in, uh, when I finally uh, arrived in 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 Milano uh, for the last in, in Milano for the last stage, second last stage was Bartolino, the time trial. I beat it, um, Di Luca, who was leading uh, in the Malia Rosa at the time. And I was second, and then I come to came to uh, to the last stage, and yeah, I suddenly you know realized all the media attention. I realized all the people who came from Luxembourg, you know, to support me to celebrate uh, my second place. I saw a lot of people also around, which I immediately saw. Okay, these are just here because I'm now you know, have a label on my shoulders. Uh, they are not here to support, you know, Andy. They are here to support the second in Giro, um, which was uh, good as well. And then 
yeah, basically I flew home uh, the day after and yeah, I saw what was going on. I didn't realize it at the time, not even before I crossed the finish line in, in, uh, in, in Italy, um, last stage. So suddenly I became from a, a helper, a neo pro, I became a grand tour contender, um, which put a lot weight on my shoulder. Uh, at that time, because I knew the next year I'm not going for the Giro again, but I'm going for the Tour de France. And um, yeah, the Tour de France, my experience until then from the Tour de France was watching it in TV and uh, you know applauding on the on the on the on the steep uh, on the steep climbs. You know the others as a fan uh, with my dad on the roadside, and uh, it came like you know instantly. I was a, a, a Tour contender and. Yeah, but this is how basically I took it as a one-day race every day. Um, if I would have gone in there uh, with the idea to be on the podium, I would never have finished on the podium. Uh, because I would have waited, I would have thought, I would have not now. This is a wrong move, this is here and this is there. Um, but because I just went in to do my best and, and tried to finish. My goal was, you know, top 25 when I started. And uh, finishing second there was, uh, I would say, it was like the the start of my career, basically. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get a hard copy of Valley News magazine, choose two books a year from VeloPress, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Peloton Magazine, and Backpacker. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value every year in one $99 subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25 all one word lowercase at checkout you'll receive our special 25% discount and you make a good deal great. And now back to our chat with Andy. I can remember, or I believe it is one of your strengths that you never did care too much. You know, you always raised with feeling and guts and instinct and not so much by numbers, not so controlled. I believe that was a good, strong point of view. It made you more unpredictable, you know, that you uh, uh, um, raced just the way you felt. So I always thought it's it's a big bonus. And um, looking at that uh, Giro, after that, that white jersey became your trademark. I, I hardly ever can remember you without a white jersey. You were like the white knight. In my eyes, what it looks like forever. I mean, Tour de France, white jersey, of course, it's gone. It's like Peter Sagan is the green jersey, Andy White, uh, Andy Schleck is the white jersey. That was just like a law of nature. And you had many years in that white jersey in the Tour as well. Yeah, I think I did. Um, actually, the, my whole uh, time, I could have the white jersey. I had the white jersey. Um, suddenly, I was too old uh, to get the white jersey. Um, there's me and Jan Ulrich at the moment who uh, yeah, managed to get it uh, three times in a row. But the white jersey, you know, it's nice. Uh, uh, it's nice because you can step on the podium, but it's not. It doesn't really have any, any, any it doesn't really have any, any value. Huh? 
um, to be honest. You know, it's not like the green jersey or the, the point jersey. It's a white, you know, it's a, a category for itself. Um, but of course, I was proud, you know, to, to step on the podium and, and, and take that, that, uh, that jersey uh, every year in Paris when I could take it. But um, going back to the previous sentence of your uh, comment, I never really believed in numbers. I, 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 st I still don't do it today. Um, I remember going back where you guys were there. Um, uh, um, survival camp we did in South Africa. I didn't sleep for 62 hours. You know, no one can do that. You know, you look at numbers. They said after 48 hours, you get a hallucination. After 52, you might stop breathing. I didn't sleep for 62 hours. The numbers told me different, but, you know, it's always numbers. And if you, you know, go to such big efforts and, and so deep as we guys went, you know, numbers is good for... Um, let's say 99% of the population on the world. You know, but we were professional athletes. You know, we went to such extreme conditions and pain and mental uh, strengths um, that I believe, you know, guys doing the tour and finishing the tour and, 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 and training the whole year round and sacrificing basically everything in their life for one goal are the one percentage where numbers don't count. So you gotta go with your gut feeling, you know, you gotta believe in, in what you do. And and this is, you know, you have one brain up here and you have one brain in your stomach, which are your gut feelings. And you know, most of the time um, I didn't really uh even the guys know it, I never listened to the sport directors. Uh you know, I made my own tactics and, and my own goals and you know I failed many times, but the times I succeeded was yeah, then big successes. You can say that again. Um, obviously, 2007 puts you at that grand tour podium potential uh, level. You know, in 2008, like you said, you had the yellow, uh, the white jersey, and our teammate Carlos Sastro won the tour. Uh, following year, you were second. You know, in between Alberto Contador and Dennis Menchoff, and then um, you know, 2010 rolls around. I'm sorry, 2009, um, and you finished second, right? And then I don't know how long it was later, you were finally awarded the the yellow jersey. Um, you're our first Tour de France champion that we've had on our podcast, so thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, winning the Tour but not being in the yellow jersey in, in Paris. I mean... How does that, how does that sit with you? Uh, not very well. It doesn't bring me nightmares. Uh, I'm in different life today. Um, I enjoy my life today. I enjoy uh, uh, what I do, um, and I try to have fun and, and make the best out of it. Um, going back, you know, getting the Tour de France victory like I did, um, it is the worst what can happen to you. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, for many years still after. You know, I was like doubting, am I really the Tour de France winner of 2010? Am I uh, here? Am I there? Uh, can I talk about it? Uh, does it bring bad light on me when I talk about it? Um, so I realized, of course, I won the Tour. No one can say differently. Um, 
Alberto, I respect him. I'm happy I had him in my career. Without him, I would have probably won another tour. Uh, and I probably would have been in yellow in, in, in Paris, not just one time, but one time, but probably uh, two times uh, or maybe even more. You don't know. In the end of the day, I respect him. I'm really happy because I'm really happy that I had him as, him as an opponent, uh, opponent because what, the, what are the people remembering? They don't remember Alberto standing on the podium on me winning uh, uh, on Tomale. Do you remember the battle? Um, the battle between him and me. This is what wrote history in my eyes. Eh? So I'm happy he was there. On the other hand, um, 2010, something wasn't all right with him. Otherwise, he would have kept the Tour de France victory. And I'm not the person um, to decide uh, to take the yellow from his shoulder. Um, there was a problem um, in his anti-doping uh, um, tests. And, you know, these people who decided to take the victory from him, this is not you, Jens, this is not you, Bobby. You know, these are high educated people. They go to school for 12 to 15 years. They do masters after masters and then they come to a position to take a decision like that. So who am I to say is this wrong or right? So they decided to take the yellow jersey, uh, the Tour de France victory from him because there was something not wrong. Um, we can talk about contaminated meat. Um, there were... I believe thousands and thousands of euros spent in analyzing and they still came to the conclusion to take the to the France victory from him. So then it's clear for me. Huh? Then it's clear for me. He don't deserve the victory 2010. Even we can talk about it that uh, many of his supporters and many of his friends and family still, yeah, yeah, but still he won the tour. Um, but there was something wrong and he got disqualified it by uh, one of the biggest judges in, in Europe who was sitting uh, head of the uh, EOC, of the Olympic Committee. And um, this is what matters for me. So to the friends, uh, to the, today I'm proud to say that uh, to, to 2010 victory belongs to me and not to him. Um, and this is what counts for me, yeah, because this is when my kids ask me today and they start to realize, I mean, especially the older one, he turns uh, uh, nine now, you know, he starts to realize uh, that I wasn't really on the podium in Paris, so I explain him and then it's fair enough, you know. Um, of course, I would have loved to have the yellow jersey in, in, in Paris on the podium, but in the end of the day, um, I'm the Tour de France winner of 2010 and no one else. And I must say, many times people ask me about um, my career. My answer is my last unfulfilled dream was to ride into Paris with you on my wheel and you in yellow. I was, my, my career, I was like, okay, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. We're going to have Andy in yellow. We're all going to ride together into Paris. That was my last unfilled dream that that's about the one thing i would change in my career that we could go to paris together you in yellow and we riding along the same river the champs Elysees. that was just my perfect you know happy ending for my career but andy you had a fantastic career i mean not to forget you won liege paston liege which is one of the hardest races when the first time you put in these uh, cold uh, the coat de rouge for kong Yeah, that's the one. It's incredibly steep and you made it look so easy and you soloed like an absolute champ into the finish. It was 
absolutely fantastic watching it. And first I was like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's too early. It's too early. Then you just put time and time into the chasing group. And like, yes, he got it. That was one of the most impressive um, performances, I would say, I have seen uh, from you in, in your career. I learned from the best, Jens. Huh? Um, you were already, uh, you were not yet my teammate, but I learned from you uh, how to win that race. Um, no, I had a fantastic uh, spring that year. I, I would say in a, in, in a book, I would have won all three races of them. I would have won Amstel, I would have won Flash, and I would have won Liege. Um, I was frustrated in Amstel. Um, I was disappointed in Flesch uh, because uh, Rebellin just passed me on the line. I finished second in Flesch and just I got to win Liege. And uh, actually, this is for me still uh, today. Um, I think that day mentally I was unbeatable. Um, I knew um, that I could win all three of them. Uh, the evening before Liege, I was so sure of myself. I said, There's no one else. And I, again, you know, I used that tactic. I said, um, if I look, I was there on the paper, uh, the strongest. I didn't win because, yeah, tactic were, were right. But actually, in Liege, Barcelona, Liege, you can't have a tactic. You know, the strongest guy wins in the end. This is what I also told myself the days before. And uh, um, a little uh, uh, side story. Um, so I was rooming with, with Frank, yeah? and he was good as well. Uh, he was strong in all. The, he was always strong in the spring classics, and in the evening before Liège, you know, he was getting nervous for the race. And I said, "Come on, let's let's watch a movie." I said, "We fucking can watch a movie now. This Liège Barcelona, Liège." But I said, "It's nine o'clock. Let's watch a movie." And after the movie, we sleep and we take the race tomorrow. Now we got to analyze. I said, "Frank, we know the road. We did it many times. We know the park where there's nothing else we can do than to watch a movie now, and we have a good laugh, and then." Um, Let's watch Dumb and Dumber, and then we sleep, and we wake up tomorrow, we have breakfast, and we do the race. And I, said, I, and I told him, I don't know what you're nervous about, because you know who's going to win tomorrow. It's going to be me, because technically there's no one else who can beat me. And in liege Barcelona, liege the strongest wins. So technically, I was the strongest in the previous uh, two races, and I feel great. I'm in good health, uh, good recovered. And, and, and he said, like, shut up, because you just make me no more nervous now. Um, I watched my movie alone. <laughs> Uh, with headphones on and yeah basically next day we did the tactic uh, everybody told me again it's too early Rochefoucauld uh, you can't make it to the finish um, now I said no no I believe it's the right moment and I believe if I go with 30 seconds over the top I don't see where uh, who or where they can catch me back because there was no after Rochefoucauld there's no team anymore to, to chase back And um, yeah, suddenly I, in my head, I said I can win with the 30, 35 seconds. Uh, I won with one and a half minute uh, on Valverde, who was behind me with uh, uh, Frank and the wheel. And no, sorry, um, Rodriguez, uh, who, was, uh, fini who finished second that day. And yeah, uh, I wish many times after in other races, I would have had the same confidence than there. Um, I don't know what was going on there um, mentally with me. I, I was so self-confident and sure about myself. Then, um, but yeah, I, I didn't doubt that I could win, and I didn't doubt that I could win that way. And I, I, I managed to to finish it off. It could have gone wrong, but um, yeah, it proved that if you believe in what you believe in, and if you fight for 
for what you believe in that um, yeah you can succeed and you you were so exciting to watch and you know these days we we there's a lot of riders like you you know that have the confidence that take the risk but everything comes to an end and i know we kind of skipped over a couple years of you in 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 the tour de france and and podium finishes and stuff but everything comes to an end you know you retire at the end of 2014 um You've opened up a bike shop in Luxembourg called Andy Schleck Cycles. You became the race director for the Tour of Luxembourg. You still work in some capacity for the Tour de France and even run a woman's cycling team. Did, did I miss anything? Is there anything more on your plate? Yeah, I try to be a good husband and a father. Um, I also have a company where we produce... Uh, uh, sorry, I am... Um, 50% with another guy. We have a company where we produce uh, carbon uh, saddles, handlebars, stamps, and seat posts uh, made in Luxembourg, built in Luxembourg. Um, yeah, I try to keep busy because I always was busy. And I know if I'm the day I'm not busy anymore, I'd be unhappy and un unsatisfied. Uh, yeah, I organized Tour of Luxembourg since five years. Now I'm president of the organization. I, since two years, uh, also race director. Um, yeah, I try to keep busy because why not? I have, uh, you know, I have still the energy than I had the years before. I got some weight. I still try to get some pounds on uh, from as a cyclist. I almost work out every day, but I don't ride my bike uh, that much anymore as I should do. Um, but that's about it. So I try to, you know, keep busy and still, you know, um, cycling brought me so much in my in my life, you know, it basically opened up, you know, so many things for me. I met my best friends uh, to cycling, so I tried to do everything possible, you know, to keep that 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 sport alive and make it uh, make it better than uh, than it was before. Hey, I'm to finish on an easy note. I just thought about the three funniest events I had with Andy. You want to hear? Go ahead. Yeah, I want to okay. hear it. Or oh. impressive, or whatever. Number one. Your epic win on a Galibier stage. We had such a masterpiece of tactics for that day. And, you know, everybody was up to the challenge and you finished it off like an absolute champ. So that was my favorite memory because I was part of the plan. I saw it all unfolding how you won on Galibier in the tour. My second best memory is you showing up early in your career at the race with the rain vest of Marty Breschel and the jersey of Mikkel Sandstedt, who has retired the year before. So how <laughs> the heck did you show up in your teammate's rain jersey, or a rain vest, and the jersey of a guy that has retired last year? That's my second best memory. Third best memory, Andy, is that poker tournament we had after the Criterium International. And then, you know, we because there's no flights out of that, it was in the middle of nowhere. So I went with you guys home to your place. We had a poker tournament. And just around midnight, you know who won the poker tournament? Your mom. That is my my one of my best memories on the podium. Your mom taking the poker tournament with us. Um, who else was there? You, Frankie, myself, your mom, your dad, I believe, was... Yeah, we yeah. had three other guys because um, actually recently I was on a, on a dinner um, with a certain um, Xavier Bettel, um, who is now since six years uh, Prime Minister of Luxembourg. And he told me, how is Jens doing? And uh, he, uh, 
Yeah, he was there that evening as well. Uh, Xavier Bettel, who is now Prime Minister of, uh, of Luxembourg, uh, he used to always come to these uh, poker rounds. Uh, yeah, I remember that it was after Criterium International when we were still in... Didn't you Yeah, win? I believe it was in Charleville, Messier, in, in the corner of France, yeah, Belgium, yeah, yeah. Luxembourg. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. That was a great... Uh, Yeah, you impressed me there in the race. I remember in the rain, in the in the cold, in the wet. Um, you were just unbeatable, and yeah, you came to us, and I was just proud to bring you here. Uh, yeah, to so I invited you know close friends. I said Jens Boki just won Criterion, but he's maybe tired, but he will have you know a drink with us uh, because we celebrate a little bit this victory. Even there was a full season ahead, and uh, yeah, uh, I remember that my mom won the. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. She didn't know how to play. Yeah, I still smile when I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andy, th there's so much more to talk about. Um, we've kind of run out of time here. We just want to thank you for for coming on the podcast, taking us down memory lane a little bit. Um, hey, man, sounds like you're busy enough, but uh, maybe maybe in the future you'll think of coming on again and giving us another update on how your women's team is doing. Uh, I'm really interested in that that carbon project that you have going. And yeah, if you ever need uh, anybody to come over and sit shotgun with you in the race director's chair of Tour Luxembourg, uh, I'll put my hand up for that. That would be fun to come back and see your your beautiful country. If you guys, uh, you will you will always be my top VIP uh, invites. I will treat you good, and I will have you make make you a good time uh, in in Luxembourg, and you can sit next to me and take uh, Christian Prudhomme's. Uh, microphone and commentate the race so i always have his car uh, from the tour they bring it to luxembourg and um, i'm sitting there giving the start line and try it. and then i'm shaking for five hours that there's no incident uh, anywhere and uh, it's not an easy uh, task but uh, i do believe i manage it quite well and uh, we'll continue uh, for now to do it so you always be my guest of honor if you come and you know what it means when i say that Awesome, Andy. Thank you so much. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thank you to Andy Schleck for being our guest. And if you enjoyed that episode, you should try out a few of our other chats that we've had with the likes of Annemiek Van Vluten, Sepp Koos, and even the likes of Tony Hawk and Brett Favre. And last week, we spoke to David Miller, And you have been telling us just how much you loved that episode. So shout out to John Perales, Deb Taylor, and Andrea B, who were amongst the many who told us how much they loved that episode. The show was a Bella News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Thanks for listening, and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.